This is a Diet of Brussels. Welcome belatedly to 2022. Uh, it's been a while since we've uh, done uh, an edition of this podcast, mainly because there's not been a huge amount to say. When I spoke last uh, a few months ago, I was talking about Article 16, and uh, I'm going to return to that question because I think there's uh, an opportunity here to consider whether uh, that is still a possibility for the British government at this point. So in the months since uh, we've last spoken, we've uh, seen a number of important changes on the UK side in terms of personnel. Firstly, we had David Frost, Lord Frost, resigning uh, before Christmas uh, on the grounds that uh, Boris Johnson was not committed to the kind of low-tax, low-regulation economy that uh, he, Frost, thought was necessary to really make the uh, most of the opportunities that were presenting themselves. And if you read the uh, exchange of letters between him and Johnson back in December, there's hardly any mention of Brexit except some congratulations to each other about getting Brexit done and really talking about other uh, issues. And subsequently, Frost has gone to uh, align himself with uh, like-minded members of the party, MPs, on that uh, deregulation uh, recovery kind of uh, track. That's interesting for two reasons. One, because it suggests that... uh, David Frost was not solely interested in uh, the question of Brexit for its own sake, but rather as part of a a bigger project, but also because it speaks to a uh, potential shift in the way that uh, the government is going to handle the uh, entire business of uh, Brexit and relations with the EU. Recall, that all of 2021 was spent with uh, the UK pushing back uh, at varying degrees on the operation of the Northern Ireland Protocol, uh, arguing that it uh, was unnecessarily disruptive, that uh, it came with a number of conditions that uh, over that year uh, were added to, most notably with the arrival of concerns about the role of the Court of Justice in settling disputes, something that hadn't been mentioned previously. All of these things were as they were uh, in the beginning of the year, so 12 months ago, when the protocol uh, kicked in uh, at the end of the transitional uh, arrangements which is to say that uh, for all the noise and all the unhappiness about the protocol and its operation, the UK has not uh, either uh, come up with a worked proposal uh, as an alternative or taken uh, the opportunity to make use of the various instruments that it had at its disposal in terms of Uh, things like uh, the Article 16 Safeguard Clause. And if you're looking for more about Article 16, I'll refer you back to our previous episode, episode uh, 272, 
uh, where I talk about Article 16 uh, at more length. The, the question now, though, is a slightly different one. We had, uh, in the wake of Frost's departure, a bit of a gap. Uh, a question mark about how to replace him or whether to replace him. And the decision that was reached relatively quickly, just in a, a day or two, was to move uh, the lead responsibility for EU relations back out to uh, the Foreign Office. Well, I don't say back out, it's not been in the Foreign Office for a very long time. But it's now Liz Truss who is the uh, lead uh, minister for uh, Brexit uh, uh, issues and for negotiations with the UK, with the EU. Now this is important because firstly it moves the issue away from the central position uh, uh, in number 10 that it had under Frost. Uh, Truss is not given the same kind of broad remit uh, that Frost uh, had in terms of all aspects of Brexit, which potentially reaches into all uh, elements of government, but rather was given the uh, more narrow uh, portfolio of handling those uh, interactions with the EU. So we've lost a degree of coordination uh, across departments uh, during what is still a, an ongoing process of implementation uh, and enforcement of the withdrawal agreements and the trade and cooperation agreements. We've also, uh, if you like, uh, turned it back into uh, some kind of normal piece of foreign relations. So uh, the Foreign Office, as you might imagine, is responsible for uh, diplomatic relations with third countries and uh, to that extent the EU is no different from uh, any other part of the world. At the same time uh, bringing Truss in as uh, this uh, new uh, figurehead is important because it makes her deeply involved in this process and certainly in the context of uh, the autumn of last year when there were starting to be some uh, rumblings about uh, who comes after Johnson, rumblings that I think are a lot more pronounced uh, now as we speak in January of 2022 for uh, rather different reasons, party-based, uh, literally, um, that uh, having trust, uh, having to take uh, responsibility for uh, what is a uh, difficult uh, subject uh, potentially makes it harder for her to uh, have quite the same degree of uh, criticism of uh, Johnson uh, and also kind of makes her complicit in the, the process uh, as it unfolds. True to uh, form, uh, as with all uh, lead uh, people, on the Brexit issue on the uh, UK side. Truss has already written her obligatory uh, op-ed in The Telegraph uh, last Sunday in which she uh, talked about the importance of uh, finding a, a solution that worked for Northern Ireland and respected the values of the Good Friday Agreement and a willingness to pull the trigger on Article 16 uh, should that uh, prove not possible within the current framework and within the negotiations that she's currently having with the EU. So far, so uh, predictable. Um, 
But what I think is uh, interesting here is that potentially we've reached a stage in proceedings where the threat of Article 16 is uh, ever more empty than it was. Now, uh, those who've listened uh, over the past uh, couple of years to discussions about Article 16 will know that I've always been, uh, like most commentators, uh, of the opinion that Article 16 was never really a, a solution to the problems that the British government felt uh, it was faced with. So uh, it, it provides for temporary and limited suspension of uh, the protocol for so long as it takes to resolve any uh, significant uh, political and economic or social uh, uh, impacts and disruptions. What it doesn't do is uh, terminate the, the protocol uh, with a, immediate effect. So Article 16 uh, is an invitation to further negotiations with uh, the other party to resolve issues so that you can get back to the operation of the protocol as uh, it is written out. Now that I think was uh, always clear to uh, external observers. I think it was clear to uh, internal uh, civil servants and senior officials and to be honest I think it was always clear to uh, the politicians involved as well. However, the politics of the situation required a tough set of language, uh, a lot of rhetoric uh, around this, a willingness to show that you won't let yourself be pushed around by the EU. And certainly the shifting targets and the shifting sands of British demands during 2021 highlighted the extent to which this was a, an exercise in trying to work out what the best way forward was. So really here, I think what we've seen has been the British government trying to uh, find a set of language that it is comfortable with, that uh, it can present as uh, a solution to uh, the various uh, problems and negative uh, impacts that it sees, that it can rationalise also with the legal commitments that it's entered into in signing the withdrawal agreement itself in the first place. However, the reduction in tensions that's taken place since the start of the, the rolling talks in November between uh, the Commission and the British government really point to uh, a different kind of model that instead of trying to do everything in a very antagonistic and uh, openly antagonistic kind of uh, way of challenging and pushing and uh, fighting uh, on every issue, the government seems to have moved more towards uh, a model of trying to depoliticise and uh, de-escalate the, the temperature uh, of that relationship. And we see that in the way that uh, David Frost, in his uh, last month in the job, was more restrained in his comments, although still willing to, to wheel out uh, some of his uh, greatest uh, lines of uh, combativeness. And even Liz Truss, op-heads notwithstanding, has not taken a, a really big uh, line. Indeed, one of the issues I think is likely to be that 
since this won't be her only job and since she has put a lot of uh, personal capital into uh, this notion of global Britain and uh, uh, traveling around the world to try and promote links with the rest of the world, if we look at the speeches she's made, she makes hardly any reference to the EU at all. So the EU is likely to be low on her list of priorities. She'll be aware that uh, antagonizing that relationship and certainly moving into uh, any kind of uh, dispute centering around the use of Article 16 will mean that her capacity to pursue the other projects where she has uh, more possibilities to sell some good news uh, about Britain's place in the world and her role in uh, achieving that will be reduced. So at a personal level, at an institutional level, and I think at a, a, a national level, the UK looks as though it's in a position where Article 16 is invoked only in the sense of uh, some notional backstop to uh, us being listened to and us being engaged with. Now, having said that, uh, there still remains a challenge that uh, in a period such as the one we have now with the, the negotiations going on with the Commission, those can't go on indefinitely. And what they're very likely to produce is a much more limited set of understandings and agreements, for example, around medicines, maybe the movement of some kinds of uh, categories of goods uh, into and out of Northern Ireland, whether that's east-west or north-south, all of which uh, falls far short of what have now been uh, repeatedly stated uh, arguments uh, and requirements from the British side. The question of the involvement of the Court of Justice is not on the table. It's very hard to see how uh, the EU would ever move to uh, a position of uh, changing that uh, beyond perhaps maybe some clarifications about the relationship of the, the court uh, in relation to arbitration panels within the protocol and the uh, withdrawal agreements and just highlighting uh, the limits to that. But otherwise, substantively changing the text will not appear to be on the table for that or indeed for any other issue. What we're in is really in uh, fleshing out the language of the, the protocol and the treaty more generally. At that point, the UK finds itself in a position that it has to make a choice. Either it has to accept the uh, package that it's presented with, or it has to uh, double down on its uh, threats to do something more extreme, such as Article 16. Again, the problem of using Article 16 is simply that it won't achieve any of the uh, goals that are being uh, talked about. And it's, again, this problem that it is simply a, an invitation to negotiate rather than uh, some uh, master switch that uh, resets everything and uh, changes things uh, for good uh, and in the UK's favour. Much of this might well come down to the position of Boris Johnson uh, at whatever point this happens. That, as we have uh, seen, as you've seen from the news, has become more difficult 
in uh, the last uh, month or so. The weakening of his uh, personal authority in relation to the various accusations of parties at number 10, his general performance uh, politically, uh, economically, uh, questions that his party uh, are increasingly uh, appearing to have about whether he's the right person for them uh, going into the future, means that he is in a less secure position more generally. And I think it's not really very controversial to, to argue that uh, being in a less secure position comes with increased uncertainty about what might be chosen to do. Now, Boris Johnson has never been the most predictable of politicians, except perhaps uh, seeming to put uh, his survival uh, above uh, many other priorities uh, when it comes to political uh, choices. Now, in that context, the ending of negotiations at some points in the next uh, month or so potentially raises uh, an opportunity for him to try and do something to reaffirm why he's the right man for the job. And let's not forget that he came to power to number 10 uh, and to the leadership of his party on the back of his Brexit deal, of getting Brexit done. Now, even if we might strongly disagree that he actually got Brexit done or that he got it done in a way that was uh, sustainable, that is the story that he has uh, projected and that has largely been accepted by his party. So he has a double-edged sword here. On the one hand, returning back to his uh, greatest triumph of Brexit might be a way of reaffirming why he is still their man and why he still deserves their support. And here is an opportunity for him to, to go and do something that uh, might mark out that he's the, the tough-talking, tough-acting uh, individual they need to lead the party, willing to make the difficult decisions. Now, that might point towards him invoking Article 16 and then hoping that in the ensuing uh, stramash and crisis that that might help to uh, uh, bolster his uh, domestic standing and out of it he'd work something uh, with the, the EU. The problem is that in anything other than the short term and the kind of the rally round the flag effect that he might get, that causes even more problems that Article 16 won't produce the concessions that uh, I think he thinks it might. It's hard to see how the negotiations that would follow would produce anything more than the process that we're currently in. And uh, it would come with some uh, further cost to the possibility of any cooperation on issues that the UK might want to pursue. Now, even as I say that, that doesn't sound like a particularly convincing uh, list of uh, concerns for Johnson, uh, a man who has always been very convinced about his ability to pull something out of the bag down the line. So tomorrow is another day. What matters is uh, what's happening right now and how we can get out of that uh, particular cul-de-sac. The flip side, though, is that Johnson got Brexit done. And the longer politically speaking, that he goes on about Brexit and the problems and how he's going to fix the problems, the more it calls into question that original statement of the, the doneness of this. So uh, 
I think it's not as clear cut as simply saying that uh, his imperilment uh, will make him uh, more on stable and more likely to uh, invoke Article 16 or do anything else uh, of that kind of nature. For the simple reason that he does seem to want to try and move debate on uh, and uh, get to uh, a more positive program, that levelling up agenda, global Britain, those kinds of ideas that will be the things that will win him the next election. That uh, with an eye to that particular horizon, it will be domestic policy uh, gains, clear evidence of uh, how uh, this government cares for uh, voters in communities that have been marginalised and have felt left out uh, by the process of globalisation. All of those kinds of things will make him want to not get stuck in further uh, Brexit, disruption and dislocation, particularly if he feels that uh, he's ridden out the Omicron wave of uh, coronavirus and that this is, you know, part of the post-COVID recovery uh, package and programme that uh, he wants to pursue. So uh, I think bitter experience tells us that trying to second guess what Johnson will actually do is uh, a foolish game, and I won't try. But suffice to say that we are going to come to a point of decision relatively quickly. However, uh, if we look at it in the round, then I think we can still say that Article 16 remains not a productive route, uh, except in the very short term of uh, some flag-waving. It almost immediately produces... uh, a realisation that this is not a solution to the problems that the UK uh, claims to have, and indeed it actually has, uh, in the way that this process is working. Whether there's an alternative path that this government can pursue, one that is grounded in more cooperative uh, discussion and negotiation, I think is very much up in the air. And I think until we get through this period of the spring, and particularly until we get to the uh, local elections in May, where I think many in the party might well make up their mind about Boris Johnson's future, that, I think, is going to be uh, the point at which we might see some uh, movement. However, in the meantime, there's uh, still plenty of other things going on. There's been the reintroduction Uh, or the final introduction of some uh, further border controls and border checks by the UK on various goods, which had had delayed. Uh, There'll be yet more uh, arriving in the middle of the summer, all of which are going to be part of the process that the government is going through. Hopefully this year, which is, gosh, it's our seventh year of this podcast, Uh, we will uh, start to see some things that tell us a bit more reliably what the relationship uh, might look like in the longer term between the UK and the EU. But having said that, I said that last year and the year before. So let's not hold our breaths on that and I will talk to you hopefully a bit sooner than uh, uh, I've left it this time uh, and we will see what happens.